Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Cameron Norwich. He's a Cherokee professional theater artist and educator. Cameron has over 40 years of theater experience in acting, directing, fight choreography, and producing theater. Cameron holds an MFA in theater direction from the University of South Dakota. He has worked as an educator for 28 years as a secondary teacher and adjunct professor. He is co-founder and artistic director of Muddy Water Theater in St. Louis, Missouri. Currently, he teaches theater at McClure High School in Florissant, Missouri. But what makes Cameron so interesting is his willingness to engage with youth and inspire them, not just on stage, but in the classroom. I say this because I speak from experience. He was one of my instructors in college. He was also the director of one of the most important theater productions in South Dakota's history. That was Indian Reading Days. So let's jump into this conversation with Cameron. Cameron Elwich, thank you so much for joining us on Five Flame Questions. It's really an honor to have you here. Well, <laughs> thank you, Joe. <laughs> and and uh, um, it's a, it is an honor to be here. I, I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, I've, I've really been looking forward to this. Uh, we, we've known each other for quite a few years now. Um, well, sort of, kind of. We, we interacted. We've crossed paths a long time ago. And of course, as life goes, we have gone our separate ways. Uh, but I feel like this is an opportunity for us to sort of reconnect and sort of talk about uh, some things that I've always wondered about. And yeah, I feel like this is sort of a long overdue conversation. So Cameron, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and where you're from? Um, sure. Uh, I guess in context of... Um what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, my background is uh, education and, and theater. Um, but in terms of just a, a life's journey, uh, I spent the early part, um, I, I say I'm from Eastern Iowa. I grew up, the, the majority of my formative years were in Eastern Iowa, in rural Iowa. Um, from that, uh, as, a, as a young person, as a um, when I was little, uh, we moved around a lot. So, um, uh, when my dad got drafted, uh, we, we lived in Texas and, uh, through, um, other crazy stories in my life, I ended up in, in California, um, and eventually back in Eastern Iowa, um, where I settled in for, or a lot of my formative years until I graduated from college and moved to South Dakota, um, from there. So. Uh, I don't know if that's less or more specific from that, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the journey from where I'm from anyway. What did you, what did you go to undergrad for? Uh, my undergrad degree was in theater. Um, I got a BA in um, a liberal arts, uh, a BA in theater um, and in it with um with an education um, degree. So I graduated from with a BA and then I went back and then I got my, my teaching credentials basically um, for speech and theater and English. 
Uh, and that's kind of what, that's kind of where my, my path took me then to, um, to South Dakota. So I knew that I wanted to work in a primarily native uh, community, um, helping or um, working with uh, underserved kids or underserved populations. And so um, all of my initial interviews were with reservation schools. Um, so uh, I think, so I, I interviewed with a Comanche um, school and then a uh, Ojibwe school up in Minnesota. And, um, and then I got a public school interview um, in Aberdeen, um, which, was a, which was an opportunity for me to be in a public school um, teaching theater, uh, but also had an opportunity to primarily work with Native kids. So I was an advisor to, um, not only was I a teacher and I taught theater and uh, directed theater plays at the school, then I, I was also the advisor to our Native American um, teens. And I, was, I also sat as a liaison between the parents, our Native American parents in the community and the school um, for their title monies. And so that was kind of, that was my journey to South Dakota. And then I, um, after about six years of being an undergrad, or not undergrad, but uh, six years of teaching um, at the high school secondary level, then um, I decided to go back and get my graduate degree, my MFA. And that's what led me to um, Vermilion. Uh, and eventually to um, being able to do uh, a, my thesis work um, with theater and in specific in Native American theater. Hmm. And then, and then I left and from South Dakota. Then I went into the um, in the collegiate world, and I was an adjunct professor for a couple of years. Um, and uh, then I went into the private sector for a little bit, um, and and I actually uh, tried to be a, a, a loan officer and a, a mortgage banker, um, and uh, that did not work out. I'm not. I'm a terrible salesperson. Um, and uh, and uh, and went back into secondary education, which I really love. And so, where I'm at right now uh, in Ferguson, uh, in, I work for the Ferguson Florissant uh, School District. To, so to kind of give folks reference, if they're not aware of that, uh, I teach at McClure High School, and so I still work with underserved kids. Primarily, I like to say, I mean, the school that I teach at is is probably what I would consider a black high school. The, we're predominantly black. Uh, if I see a white face, it might be one or two kids a day. Otherwise, we're, we're predominantly black. But I teach at the high school that, um, to put things in context, in my community and where we work is where uh, Mike Brown, uh, Michael Brown, was uh, attended my high school. So and in, in our community is where all of those, where he was shot and where, uh, where all of those uh, uh, riots and Black Lives Matter, all of that comes from my community. Uh, and so we deal with, um, I, I, it's not a, I, we're not a, we're not a city school, but we're definitely an urban fed school that has a lot of connections to the city. And so we, we deal with a lot of, we deal with a lot of issues that are universal for minority individuals. We have low income issues. We have poverty we have, um, we're a school that's 100% uh, free and reduced lunch. Um, we have uh, gun violence and we have all of the, the ills that come along with um, 
uh, homes that are broken up by alcoholism and drugs and all the other uh, terrible social norms that come with um, with uh, being a minority in the United States. But in this case, truly uh, focus, you know, on being a black minority in the United States and in St. Louis is a um, is a death sentence for a lot of uh, for a lot of young black men. And so we deal with a lot of those issues on a day to day basis. But, you know, on the surface of all that, uh, I uh, I'm a theater teacher, uh, but um, not just that. Uh, I kind of continue my mission of uh, using theater um, as an educational tool to underserved populations. And so uh, not being in a native community, that was a that was a big adjustment, but um, still serving um, uh, populations that I feel uh, get a lot from art and theater from what happened to Michael Brown, you know, it was, it was a flashpoint uh, in the national conversation, but as, as people from your community and people from my community, you know, the Sisnawapitan uh, reservation and whatnot, these incidences have been going on for generations. Uh, this, you know, what mm-hmm. happened is nothing new. And these are long conversations that have been going on that just have not gotten the national attention that it's gotten or that, that, right. that it's been given in the past. Um, was there a change in the conversation in the schools at that time when that was going on? A hundred percent. There's been a large change. So my school district, um, St. Louis is an interesting, um, an interesting community. So um, as an urban city, you know, in our, in our native populations, like in South Dakota, um, you, you, you know, we only have a few larger urban settings. So, you know, like Aberdeen being the third largest community, uh, while I was there, you know, the, the largest minority were, uh, native people. Um, and at that point, I think there were 30 some different tribes represented in Aberdeen because of the, the BIA, um, headquarters there. And so, um, you had a little flavor of a sense of dividedness um, in there, but on a, on a St. Louis scale, it is so large and so historic and so economic that uh, redlining is a specific thing. Like redlining, there is a clear line that divides the haves and the have-nots, and there's a clear and 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 you can see it. Like I mean, you can literally look on one side of the street and you can see wealth, and you can go a block on the other side of the street and you can see the poverty. Um, and in our community, um, uh, not far from where I teach and as a part of our school district is a, is a historically black community, one that was founded by black people and was a, um, all black community, um, that is now literally gone because of an airport. And so the economics of, you know, displacing these communities into, uh, poverty and to uh, decline. Like uh, this, the school that I teach at is when it was built, and it's probably about 70 years old, was a, a, it was a mixed community at that time, predominantly white middle class, some minorities. But now due to white flight, all of those white dollars have left those the community. And then now you have left, um, you know, you have the, the value of property has gone down and your tax base is uh, it's not the same as what it was. And when I came into the school about 
13, 14, maybe 15 years ago, we had a white superintendent um, of that school district. Somebody who had come up out of the ranks was a teacher and then, then a principal and then had, had, had spent their entire career in the school district. Um, but fortunately had the vision to know that the needs of the next generation um, was not of a, a white male, but of, of, um, of a, at least uh, some type of mentoring for uh, black leadership. And so our next superintendent was, was a black male um, who brought along a lot of positive change. Um, at that time, the high school that I was teaching at was um, all my leadership was was black at that. Time. So all my 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 uh, all my principals, all my supervisors were um, were black. And then I moved to another high school in the district um, a couple of years. And then the leadership was a lot different at that time. It was uh, basically it was almost the majority of it was white um, and they were women. Um, and so but that has changed over the last Few years, so I think now my leadership is there is only one white administrator, one white male administrator, and the rest of my administration. So that was a positive change, like that was a needed change um, in a school district, like like it is. It needs the leadership of of strong black, educated um, principals and educational leaders to really move forward the agenda and what what it's causing is in this last even in this last couple of years is earnest conversations about what race is and earnest conversation about privilege and earnest conversations about how it's affecting the education of of um, black children and really how we're failing um, this group of individuals um, on so many levels and, uh, and just really looking at the race effect to that and then figuring out how can, we, how can we really make change? How can we really make educational change that's valuable uh, to young people? Um, and I think, uh, so I think that's really positive, but there's a lot of hard conversations that really need to be had um, and there, and people have not had the, I don't, the guts to really sit down and have these conversations. And so um, I look forward to seeing how that, how, how we continue to grow and transform as a school district. Have the theater productions in the school district reflected this, this change in conversation or the intensity of the conversation? Has not. Uh, so I have just so um, and it may change now that I'm coming into it. So I have just came back to being um, so I did a lot of theater in my in my in my position with the school district. I did not do a lot of um, high school theater. I actually most of my theater was being done on a professional level. So me and my wife had founded a uh, professional theater company in St. Louis. And so most of our, uh, um, most of our artistic endeavors were going there. And at this particular high school, there was already a theater, a strong theater person there. And so I was not, uh, I would occasionally um, teach a couple of the overflow theater classes. So if there was a college credit theater class, I would teach it. Um, if they needed, you know, if they needed, uh, they had an extra acting section, then I would pick it up. Uh, but I was primarily English at this particular school. I came into the school district as a theater teacher, but then transferred um, to that. 
And that was for a couple of reasons. Um, one was that, like we were talking about early, I had a house full of toddlers and diapers. And so I needed to have a lot more focus and attention at home in an after school setting. So our professional theater could be done in the evenings and, and such. And so, but just this uh, last year during the pandemic, um, I became the head of the theater. So I will have an opportunity to bring some different change. So no, not really. Um, our theater was primarily up until this time was a very, what I would call surface um, and it focused on a lot of musicals. They did a lot of musicals, which mm. fed to a certain talent in our school, but not necessarily, it did not address um, some of the social things. And, and part of my, part of my theater background, like when I was in Aberdeen is I was using that theater, those theater skills. And I was going out into uh, native communities uh, like Red Lake um, Indian Reservation. And we were using improv to, to deal with the social issues of the, of that community. Um, and so was helping young people build kind of an improv troupe that had the skills to address community problems. So the community could come to this group and say, Hey, we're dealing with this and we want you to come in and help with it. And they could come in and they could help with it and they could use their improv skills to kind of explore the issue with the community. And it was a, it's a kind of magical type of theater that uh, performance that is requires the audience to be an active participant in it and that the issues are thematically going to affect that community as they, they leave it and a lot less about just an entertainment value. And so I hope to bring some of that, um, to, uh, to this, to the school and the theater and, um, and use theater showing theater, um, for some of the more strengths of social change and social exploration than just pure entertainment of musicals. Can you talk a little bit about your influences? Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, that, so live theater is a beautiful thing, but it's, a. um, uh, so that journey has been um, an interesting one. So my first theatrical performance, I played a narrator um, in a uh, in a uh, a fifth grade grade school classroom. So we did um, uh, we had that uh, that was my first theatrical experience, and then that kind of that was my exposure to theater. Then um, I did not really get a theatrical sense until in high school. I had a friend who was going to an audition and he said, Hey, why don't you come along with me kind of thing? And I came along and I got the part he didn't. And it kind of became, it kind of realmed out of that. So I've had some, I've had some amazing mentors and, um, and artists uh, through my career that I, I feel so blessed. So of course my high school theater teacher was a huge influence and was a huge supporter of me as an artist. So as I went through college and such, he, his wife hired me to come in and uh, direct plays in the middle school where she was a principal. And uh, which took me to the university level um, of theater, which um, I was exposed to all different kinds of um, uh, amazing um uh, artists and uh, and just theater as a, a truly a, a life form. So I mean, there was so much just thrown at me and to absorb um, in there. But at the University of Iowa is where I met Leanne Howe. So through the um, being at the um, so through the uh, 
the Native American Student Association there, um, she was she was involved with it. And that's actually how I got to meet her. And that was um, and we started a friendship there, which, um, of course, lasted uh, beyond that and was was uh, one of the reasons why I pulled Indian Radio Days because of because of our relationship and um, I, my respect for her uh, as a she as an author, but in the, in this beautiful play um, that we did. And so um, I had those opportunities um, in there. Uh, once I got to, when I got to South Dakota, I had a lot of not necessarily theater mentors, but just life mentors. Uh, some of those, you know, like really stand out. Uh, Mike Cutler um, from, was in Aberdeen. He was a, um, uh, a huge influence on just me as a mentor in my life and centering just the importance. But he was also a friend that um, in a gentle way pushed me to be a better person. Um, and so it was oftentimes invitations to uh, do things that were not necessarily in my comfort zone. Um, that, uh, but yet in a loving way, pushing, <laughs> pushing you out into the world saying, Hey, this is you, you should do this. And you're like, Oh, I'm not comfortable. Okay. Now I'm doing it. Thanks, Mike. Um, <laughs> and that, and then moving to the university as an artist, there were huge influences. Um, uh, of course my advisor, um, Eric was a huge, uh, a, uh, I mean, invaluable um, mentor in terms of just shaping me into an artist and helping me find a, my voice and and really just nurturing, even though he didn't understand necessarily 100% uh, the theater um, that I was doing and probably uh, uh, Dr. Hagen's one of his, and I don't know if he would be embarrassed or if he would, if he recalls it, you know, we were in the middle of production for Indian Radio Days and he came in um, to watch one of the rehearsals and, um, as part of my, you know, as my mentorship there and, and I turned to look at him and he's in tears, like he's crying. And I'm like, what have I done? Like, why is he crying? Is it, am I messing up so bad on a scale that my professor is in the seats crying? I mean, like, I really, I really screwed this up. Like I'm, I'm, my vision is so, so out there. Like I'm, I put all my art out there on the stage and I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And I turned to my, my advisor and he's in tears and I'm like, Oh no. Uh, you know, so uh, Ron Moyer was another uh, huge influencer. Why I even went to the university um, was because of Dr. Moyer, um, just his gentle guidance um, through the years as a high school um, theater director and just appreciating the kind of theater that I was bringing each year to one act festival um, and then talking to me and saying, hey, do you have some interest in doing this? If you do, um, you know, check us out. Um, and once I got to uh, St. Louis, then just having opportunities to work with a large variety of professional actors, um, doing some amazing, amazing theater um, that kind of changed uh, 
uh, just just changed me as a human being um, to watch some of these these amazing performances by people that you know wouldn't get to see these amazing performances. Like these were being done for you know intimate houses of maybe in total by the time the production run got done, you might have five hundred people who have seen these just just amazing connected heartfelt um performances and it was it was exciting um to do it was just really hard to do um for we did it for about nine years and then it was um the i guess the the logistics and the finances of doing it became more than the art itself and so um we kind of put it on the back shelf for a little bit um and raised kids for a bit but yeah yeah. Some of my influences. I've had so many. I've been so blessed with so many uh, uh, great relationships uh, through my career. Speaking of <clears throat> of your career, um, and you've you've touched on this pretty well. Uh, but the question is, um, you know, how have you developed this career from college and post college? Uh, I'm I'm kind of interested in hearing about. Um, your your theater company it was muddy waters is that correct right that's correct yeah yes yeah. so um so my theater so my basis of my career has always been education so that's where my home and my heart has always been um and theater is who i how i expressed myself so those two things kind of just went hand in hand with one another um and even though i left education i always was in in theater so um, so for even those few years that I went into the private sector, then, you know, I was performing as a professional actor. I was directing as an actor, uh, acting, I was doing some stage combat. I was doing all the things that I loved. Um, but at that time in St. Louis, St. Louis had a really vibrant, um, interest in theater, but did not have a lot of theater companies of a size that was really doing what I felt was, was meaty kind of interest, the kind of theater that interests me, which wasn't just commercial. And so, and so my wife and I decided to form a theater company and, um, and really deal with that. So Muddy Waters was kind of a twofold idea. So Muddy Waters had a symbolic meaning um, and it kind of was a logistic uh, one, you know, we're in St. Louis and we're next to the mighty Mississippi, you know, the, the so, you know, there you go. Um, and, but really what we were a theater about, we weren't going to be a clean theater. We were going to be one that was dealing with muddy issues of life, that things weren't clear. They weren't just entertainment. And so the goal of our theater company was to produce, was to really spotlight the playwright, the voice that was always in a production, but people didn't really focus on. And so we would produce uh, three productions by that playwright, a single playwright. We would choose a playwright, and then we would produce three three plays by the same playwright. So in a season, an audience member would get to go on a journey with the playwright instead of just going to one theatrical experience where you might walk away and not even consider the voice of the person who actually wrote it, but were 
you know, completely enthralled, much like television or movies, right? Like you, you have to be a connoisseur or somebody who appreciates those as an art form to take some more time to, to appreciate, you know, the, the director or, you know, the playwright or the, the script writer or the screenwriters for a particular project. And when you're, you know, if you're at that professional level, then you have some professional interest in those kinds of things. And that's true for a lot of audiences. They may go to a musical, they may go to a play, they may enjoy the story, but they don't take a lot of extra time to to get to know that that playwright. And so a lot of our plays were classic or classic in a lot of, of sense, uh, classic Americana kind of playwrights, but um, were dealt with a lot of different of the of the heavy issues and and um, comedy and drama things that you weren't going to see at a commercial theater things that you weren't going to see um, at a roadhouse or someplace you were going to go here and you were going to have a, a theatrical experience that was uh, that was going to be nothing like uh, other theatrical experiences it was going to be in an intimate house of a hundred people it was going to be we were going to be very close to one another you're going to be a you know an arm's length away from the performance you're going to almost feel like you're in the performance instead of in a large auditorium uh where there is truly a fourth wall that separates you from that um that particular experience so um my journey really hasn't been one that i can say that i that i i necessarily planned out and i i definitely um, feel like life is a journey and I have kind of accepted that journey and I've gone along with it and um, it has taken me to where I feel like I needed to be uh, in a kind of a, an odd way. Um, so I got to the particular high school that I'm, I'm teaching at and I was having lunch in a, in a teacher's lounge with other teachers and one of the teachers I was eating with was uh, was a retired teacher who was in subbing. And I knew I was at, my life's journey had kind of taken a circle and I knew I needed to be here because that particular teacher and I um, had an interest in theater together. And so we were kind of talking about theater and her educational career. And here we are in St. Louis, Missouri. And her first teaching job was at my high school in rural Midwest, Iowa. <laughs> so, um, so I was... I was like, how is it that I am now connected to a community from my from my high school in 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 Iowa to basically, you know, a, a large suburban school in St. Louis. So, you know, it was it. And I don't know how that life, you know, that life's journey connects you all the way through that. Um, but somehow this is where I felt I needed to be um, with those with those connections. And so. Um, I've always had, I mean, education has been my, has been my career, the way I made money. Um, theater has been the way that I've expressed my love. And, um, and so I can't say that I've, I've had an earnest path saying, this is how I will, how I will chart my career in theater. What I've always tried to do is make room for theater, um, because it's just an important way of, of expressing and connecting to the world. Um, as, and I, I'm, and I'll, and I think that it's easier to connect to, um, as a native person, you know, 
storytelling is so important and that's what theater is about. It's about telling stories and being a storyteller um, in a visual and um, in such a visual way uh, is really, and, and you might recall this as your first theatrical performance on stage, is a really magical experience when you're in the life of a character in a house full of live people and your performance is growing and connecting, your storytelling is growing and connecting, not in just its story, but with connecting it to the audience and getting that feedback and the growth of that, that it's, uh, when you've had a live theater experience, um, theatrical experience like that, um, there isn't anything like it. You can't get it from television. You can't get it from watching a video of a live produ production. It's only something that happens in a space at that one time with that audience and those performers. And so it's, uh, it's kind of magical. So to answer that question in terms of life journey, I haven't had a path, but I've always made, uh, a space for it in my life. And by doing that, um, amazing opportunities have come, come out of that. Um, so I think from that standpoint, um, I've always been fortunate enough to have an opportunity to perform on stage or to direct, you know, stories that interest me, um, or even more importantly, to participate at the educational level with young people, giving them a space to grow as artists and, and explore who they are through the lives of other people. Um, and then, or showing them how theater can really be impactful in the actual life that they lead. So that's, a, that's I guess, how my journey has taken me there. Hmm. The, the word opportunity, um, it's the, the basis of the next question is, is how do, I, I generally ask the guests, uh, how do they seek opportunities? Um, in your case, it's, I imagine it's slightly different, um, both in education and in the theater world, opportun opportunities present themselves in different ways and in different ways as you move through your career. Um, can you talk about how, how those opportunities have come forward for you? I think that I don't, I don't know if they've come forward to, I think what is really important is that you have to leave yourself open to, um, to exploring things that might be new or might be uncomfortable. And so, you know, I may go to like some of my opportunities um, and relationships just started with a simple, um, you know, looking at some auditions and saying, oh, here, look, uh, um, this uh, St. Louis Theater uh, Shakespeare Company is having auditions. Uh, I'll go try that out. And then, you know, um, then you might get cast and then you have an opportunity to make connections and you grow in that way. But, you know, on the same hand, you might uh, you might have an opportunity to audition for, um, uh, you know, um, a small commercial or um, you're at a uh, you're at the after or opening night party and you make some connections with people that say, hey, well, we would really like you to come in and work with our kids. There's just leaving yourself open to exploring and doing things that that you may not have thought might have been possible. And so not saying no to things is really what it's about. It's saying yes and taking an opportunity to do something. Um, 
but a lot of it is never, you know, it's not like, uh, that's not for the financial gains, right? Like that's for, that's for opportunities to do. And I'm fortunate enough that, that a lot of those, I could say yes to a lot of things that other people may not have been able to, because I didn't, I wasn't connected to it for a financial reason. I was connected to it from an artistic reason. So I could, I could go to that small company that, you know, maybe is producing their first play and go do a play with them because I didn't, because they may not be paying anything, but that's not why I'm there. I'm there for that role or for that experience. Um, so when I was making, you know, if I'm making my living as an educator, then it, it leaves some other opportunities um, available uh, from that. I don't have to say yes to things based on a financial goal as much as um, things that interest me as an artist. Mm. Final question. Um, what would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this? Um, you know, theater is, theater is hard. Um, and, and it's an art. And so like anything else, it's something that has a sets. You can go out in the world and you can be successful, um, you know, without having to go through all kinds of classical training, but like anything else, um, to be a successful theater artisan is you have to put the time into it. It doesn't mean that you have to go to necessarily a school, but you have to put the time into learning your craft. Um, and there aren't any shortcuts to that. And you have to be willing to do it for the long haul. Um, and theater is not a place where like theater is not a place where you're going to be, you're going to become wealthy. Um, it's not a, you know, I do theater because I need to do theater. I don't do theater because it's recreational. And I think if you have that kind of need, if you have that kind of desire and drive, then you're in the right space to, to begin that, you know, that journey on that, on that path. Um, if not, then, um, there, there are so many ways of being involved in a theatrical life without having to go down that, that particular path. Um, it's not as expensive. It's not as heartbreaking. It's, and can be just as fulfilling. Um, there's just as much fulfillment as an artist going to your local community theater, um, and working on a production than, going and working for, you know, a full-fledged professional company. There can be the same kinds of artistic fulfillment um, in in those. Um, But if you really have that desire and that drive, there's a space for you. Um, You're most likely going to find it through your journey. Um, But it's, it's, you know, don't be surprised if it takes time. Uh, I know a lot of I know a lot of older theater people being in St. Louis. A lot of people who left St. Louis to start their careers had what I would call working acting kinds of careers. And later in their life, when they got to a point where they their families were more important or their relationships were more important than um, than the work, they came back to St. Louis because it was a comfortable place where they could have both. Um you know, some of those places like New York is an expensive place to live. California is an expensive place to live. Um, but there are so many other places where you can do um, film and you can do stage and you can do all those things. And I was surprised to find it in St. Louis. I moved to St. Louis and I was like, what? 
There's actually a theater community here. I moved to Aberdeen and there was a huge, there was a huge vibrant community that loved live theater. And it was all being brought to you by, you know, by the community, the community theater. Um, uh, so the Aberdeen Community Theater was was servicing, you know, that that section of South Dakota. I mean, people were coming from all over to come to those those experiences. So, um, you know, uh, Storybook Land Theater had a had a theater company that would fill audiences of young and old on a Sunday afternoon to you know to for goofy stories. Um, those aren't places that you would you, you those aren't places that you that I, that I sought out theater to go. Those were my goals for where I was at. Those were going to to a community and opening yourself up for opportunities and being able to you know play on a stage with uh, with kids in a castle to doing you know some stage work on the community theater to being able to do it at the you know um, or playing. Uh, uh, you know, a classical role on the, on the, on the stage at the, at Northern uh, state right there, you know, it's just, just, just opera opportunities coming um, is really uh, about it. But if you have that drive and desire, I say, feed it, you know, embrace it. Don't ignore it. Don't put it back on a shelf, but really embrace that life to see what it is. And then, and then you can make the decision how you want to progress on with your, with your life, but a life not lived is sometimes, um, lost. And then you're left with a lot of questions. Um, and theater at its heart is, is about answering questions through your storytelling then, then, and that's why we go, right. So we can experience somebody else's life and, uh, and, and other journey, um, with sometimes not having to do it ourselves, but yeah. Hmm. One, before we go, I wanted to share uh, one thing with you. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. We we worked on Indian Radio Days in 2000. And that was right at the beginning of my military career. And mm-hmm. years later, <clears throat> I uh, had moved up to a brigade level unit, which was uh, a general or a colonel and all of the brigade staff. And a lot of what the brigade staff does is they inform the commander of situations that are going on in the area and whether through training or in the real world. And I found myself in a position where I had to give briefings to the staff and (laughs) I was pretty nervous because I was like, oh man, I'm like, when I was really one of the youngest guys doing it and I was the lowest rank out of all these officers, I I was enlisted and these were all uh, high ranking officers. And I was talking to uh, my officer in charge and he was trying to figure out how, <laughs> how for me to get the confidence to be able to stand in front of all, you know, the, the general and all these, these high ranking staff to give real world important um, information briefs and sort of to deal with that pressure. And he said something and it, it reminded me of our experience in the theater company or in, in the, at USD. And he he said, think of this as a monologue. And when you're up at that podium speaking to the general, you are now a character. You're now a military character in a play. And that connected with me. And so for over the course of the next 10 years, whenever I had to give briefings, um, I would step into the role. I mean, I was Sergeant Williams, but when I would step up to the role, I was now Sergeant <laughs> Williams. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I stepped out of myself into that role and would deliver because I'd write everything down. I had my little monologue and I would, <laughs> I would give it out. And yeah, so that <laughs> our experience kind of led to a real world uh, benefit for me uh, later on. <laughs> and so I just wanted to share that with you. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Yes, that's some of the, I had a, another conversation with a, a parent this last year that, you know, I had a child who wasn't coming to class and I was talking to the mother and the mother was like, well, this, well, she doesn't really have any interest in theater. She wants to go into a medical field. And I'm like, whoa, hold on here. Theater has such, so many things to offer them if they want to go into a medical field. And I went through all of the, all of the kinds of things that you can get from your theatrical training in a medical field that will, you know, you got empathy and you have, and you have storytelling and you have um, like, you're talking about you, you're going to talk to people um, in small groups and in large groups, and you're going to have to communicate a, a message with effectiveness or with empathy and sympathy and so many other things that you can get from, you know, your, what you're just thinking is acting, right? Like it, it we use at the heart of theater is collaboration and um, we're a collaborative art and that cannot function without um, working with others. And that's at its heart is a, a skill invaluable in any field that you take. Yeah. Well, um, one more thing before, before yes. I let you go, I want to show you something. Give me one second. I apologize. All right. <laughs> I still have it. It's still kind of framed. Oh, I'm so jealous. That is awesome. <laughs> headphones back on here. I can't hear you. Yeah. Oh, I said, I'm so jealous. That is so awesome. That is awesome. I that held on awesome. to it. I couldn't. That is awesome. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. for for the listener, um, I have a poster of the theater, per, the, the theater production that we did. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, Indian radio days? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that was such an awesome production because this was an opportunity to, so we went to the university of South Dakota, which is a predominantly, I mean, for, for all practical purposes, South Dakota, you know, like this is a white university. Right. And so a bunch of us. So as a graduate student, being able to bring our native voice to the stage was so empowering so like here I was given an opportunity to say, hey, you you get to bring your voice to the stage. What would you like to do? And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And so so here I was able to put together one, um, an old friend, um, bring bring her to the university um, and not only bring her to the university through the written form. Right. A play that she had written Indian Radio Days. Um and uh, but physically bring her to to the university so she could she could share her power. But not even that. But here was an opportunity to basically give um, a group of young people who, you know, oftentimes as Native people, we were, were talked about as an invisible minority, bringing us from the invisible kind of place and putting us in the spotlight and not spotlighting us in a, a classical stereotypical way, but doing it through humor, right? Like here was this beautiful production that was dealing with, with um, large, uh, impactful uh, thematic kinds of things to Native people and to history as the United States kind of thing. Um, as it talked about, you know, colonization, you know, started for us 
um, over 500 years ago and has been impactful through our entire lives, um, definitely up through the present. And here was a production that was tackling these these really um, heavy kinds of subjects in in using a form that um, we've been using, you know, in our, that we use to deal with so much of the the tragedy of our lives and doing it through humor. And it was and it was magical. It was um, it was an opportunity to mix and bring people to the theater. So I had performers who were on stage who were performing for the very first time. The theater was nothing that they had done before. And they were coming and and taking that risk because of the story. Right. Like because of the opportunity. Hey, here's an opportunity for us to tell our story. Um, and not necessarily specifically um, our tribe story, but more of a, a larger tribe story or experience. Um, and, and it brought out such magical people, right? Like Vanessa was, she was hilarious. Like, I mean, you know, these people that you had no idea that these talents were in your classrooms and on your university and in your community. And here we had an opportunity to bring that. And not only on stage did we have that, that magic, but our audience, then there were people that had never come to the theater before to this live theatrical performance. And we filled that house with both the native and white community members for an evening of, of entertainment that um, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's ever been um, replicated in terms of, of that kind of exposure and opportunity to be seen um, at the university. Um, and so that, that was really, uh, that was the magic of that production magic uh, yeah it's super so and 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 one of the things that that's an opportunity that educational theater does right one because they have the financial means and the focus is not to make money but to to uh, promote education and theater and you know in my case it was my you know my degree program um and also just another you know another um another great mentor that came out of that um that i got out of that experience was uh, Dr. Killsmall, like I was looking for, I was looking for, you know, um, people that would sit on my, um, my thesis committee and, you know, and I was taking, um, I was taking, I think it was like, uh, Lakota one or something. I was, I, I had <laughs> okay. taken some language class, you know, and I was like, Oh, what am I doing? You know, like, because we have to take, you know, in our, in those, in, in that discipline, we had to, we had to take other hours outside of just our, so I was like, Oh, this is going to be a great, and that's where I met him, you know? And I'm like, I'm blown out of the water by this man, you know, like I'm sitting in this class and it has nothing to do with my theater education across campus. And I'm getting, I'm getting all these huge life lessons. And that was somebody else that connected to this, right? Like he, he was like, Oh yeah. Like he, he was all on board for, for this. But once again, we were talking in a medium that was not familiar to anyone else around. My, my own theater, my own theater mentors were not, were experiencing something new from a, from, you know, because I was, we were sharing a native experience with them um, that was powerful in the sense that, you know, like Dr. Hagen was moved to tears because of the power of what he was seeing on stage um, and how it was affecting him. And then seeing not just that, but after, I don't know if you recall, I mean, there were so many moments of that. Like your father coming in was a, was a huge um, 
bonding experience for that cast and and just um, a grounding for you know a gift um, his blessings on that and and sharing that um, with us was was huge um, that honoring ceremony that came up after you know after the opening of, a, of our show which was so powerful and amazing I mean there were so many uh, just I think that you know, in our lives that we, we, we get to share some of those because of our relationships in a native community, but other people don't really know the power of those things um, because they're not privileged to them. And, and here was an opportunity to, to bridge that across, um, across the, the educational lines, but also entertainment and other ways that um, was, a, it was, a, it was magical on a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ways that, um, things and that's that's live theater that's the beauty of it like you can't reproduce that like you can't reproduce that experience because that experience lives in that moment even if you try to redo that at a different place it's going to be a different experience with a different set of people in a different community but at that particular time and that kind of it was um it was awesome it was uh it was uh, um i really um cherished uh, the experience of that and just, you know, the gifts that people brought um, and the risks that people took um, to try new things and to to trust in me that, you know, this was going to be OK in the end. That it was. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was awesome. That was an awesome experience. Oh, absolutely. It was. I think the term you use is magical and that's what it was. I, I remember the time so fondly, you know, it was, and it was hard work. You're right. It was, it was not an easy thing to do. You know, it was, um, weeks of, of, uh, preparing. And I was just, uh, one, one actor among so many people that were there in the department and other actors that were doing far more work, but, uh, the, the collective, uh, effort in that was was something else so yeah yeah it was it was mad yeah yeah i mean and you brought up an important part about that that the collaboration of that right it's not just the actor and the director but we had people who were designing and working on sound and building us a set and doing all to help support that vision you know my vision of what i wanted to bring to the to the stage and everybody was working to support that um for it to be successful and that's the that's the magic of educational theater also. Hmm. And yeah, from just that experience uh, in itself, uh, I still am in contact with so many of those folks, uh, actors and, and um, the, the, the team that was there. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for this. This was a lot of fun. And I really appreciate yes. your time. And, yes. And all this. Uh, well, and as we say in uh, uh, at Cherokee is a Wado. So Wado, uh, Joe Williams, thank you um, for for uh, taking the time to uh, seek me out and uh, and to share this uh, this uh, podcast with me. And that does it for this episode of Indian Radio Days. This episode of Five Plain Questions. Uh, I guess uh, that was on my mind. Um, <laughs> I want to thank Cameron again for his time and sharing his story with us. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to keep this one in. Uh, <laughs> generally, I take about 20 takes for each of these outros, um, and I'm going to keep that one in. Uh, you know, 
my introduction of Cameron was through Indian Radio Days in that production. And it was the first time that I had seen an actual stage production at the college level come together. And to see both the, the crews and the cast come together and for him to sort of work through that dynamic was really interesting. Um, to see the, the stage manager and the lighting crews and the sound crew to, and, and of course the, the set builders, to bring it all together and to work with, um, to work with uh, the costume department uh, as we put those things, it was really fascinating. And for the next couple semesters after we had done that production, I was in, in theater and did one-act plays to courses from Cameron and it was really a wonderful and intense time and one of the highlights of my uh, my college career, so to speak. I came out to the production as a graphic artist. I was supposed to design the poster, uh, but I did a terrible job of the poster, but um, I guess they needed someone to uh, do some readings. We did some table readings, so I just kind of hopped in and, and helped out with that as I was trying to sketch people. And yeah, so that's, that's how I got into the, the production. And I'm a, I'll always be grateful so Cameron, uh, thank you. And thank you for this conversation. Um, it was really great to connect with you again and to see that you're still working with youth and just doing all the amazing things that you do. More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. If you have any suggestions for someone for me to talk to, uh, please look me up on Facebook and message me. I'd like to hear from you. All right, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next week.